0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to No Particular Hurry. My name is Dave Early. On today's pod, uh, we have a person who's written for SI. ESPN, ESPN The Mag, he's hosted and been a recurring analyst on lots of ESPN shows like Around the Horn, PTI, Highly Questionable, and High Noon. One of his focuses now is ESPN Daily Podcast. He's a friend of the process. Very few out there in the national media have been willing to dig into the weeds of Sixers' modern history. He has, including spending a few hours interviewing none other than Sam Hinkie, who doesn't grant many of those. My favorite thing about this guest is I would say the rapport he has with his co-hosts on ESPN shows. He could mix it up with hard-hitting investigative journalism, but he'll also make his co-hosts laugh, make me laugh, and can take a joke when they give him a good, healthy ribbing. Without further ado, let's welcome ESPN's Pablo Torre.
1: Pablo, how you doing? I am well, Dave Early. How are you doing?
0: I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking and Thank you very much for joining uh, our Liberty Ballers podcast. I know from experience, sometimes as a Sixers fan, you follow the national media, and it's sort of like we have very few friends out there. I, I know it's an annoying. <laughs> I know it's an annoying take because every fan base. I live in New York, and I think you do too. Uh, yes, and Knicks fans are very defensive about the way they're covered. So I know everyone feels this way, but in terms of <laughs> the process it feels like there are a few friends but you've been one of them
1: <laughs> i am i am sitting in the cafeteria also alone <laughs> accused of eating my own boogers and so yeah years ago now dave i welcomed all of the all of the process faithful to come on down and and take sips from my half empty milk carton that I got going on over here.
0: <laughs> that's a, That's a very uh, Pablo analogy. I like that. Um, <laughs> all right, let's bounce around a little. It's Super Bowl week. I know even Sixers fans are obsessed with that. Do you have any do you have a pick for us?
1: You know, I just had to decide on ESPN daily, the podcast that I host, I'm already promoting another podcast, like four seconds into this. So thank you for indulging do, do me. Do all
0: the peddling you want.
1: <laughs> no, nah, I mean, I could tell you to subscribe and unsubscribe, then resubscribe, then unsubscribe, then resubscribe, then unsubscribe, then resubscribe then unsubscribe, then, <laughs> then resubscribe then unsubscribe, then, resubscribe, then, unsubscribe, then unsubscribe. But I'm a classy guy who's aware of his surroundings. But I will also point out that I had to go and like make a decision as to like, did I want to gamble on this game? And, Ultimately, yes. I didn't really want to gamble on the outcome though. So I guess like if you want to pick, I'm going to tell you that the chiefs are going to win, but I'm not putting any money behind that. I had to figure out what am I going to put money behind? You want to gamble on the process. I wanted to gamble Uh, on, that's exactly right. (laughs) How do we get to that result? I'm interested in the process. So (laughs) I got Doug Kazarian, our gambling expert at ESPN to like basically be my, um, prop bet Somalier. apparently there are like a thousand prop bets for the super bowl and i wanted to figure out which one do i want to lay my money on and i decided that my prediction for this game that i have money behind is that there will be a doink there will be a missed field goal clanking off an upright or crossbar you bet on that is Kawhi what Leonard. I'm li- absolutely but not i wanted in- yeah no i couldn't find the option for bounce four times and then torpedo the hopes of a franchise. I couldn't find that option in particular, <laughs> but apparently if I get a single doink, I will be a very rich person. So Does it that matter is if it goes in or misses? It has to miss. It, has to miss. it okay. has to miss. So I am, I am rooting for, um, yeah, clearly, uh, the most important aspect of this entire American television show broadcast orgy.
0: So you'll be monitoring like Tampa Bay winds,
1: maybe a, maybe a thunderstorm would help you. Sometimes they have lightning breaks there. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I want weird um, barometric pressure. I want mayhem. (laughs) I am, I may or may not be tweeting uh, various intimidating things (laughs) on the burner accounts to the kickers themselves and their placeholders. So yeah, I'm going all out allegedly.
0: Okay. So, so we need a doink. We'll be rooting for
1: you. Yes, um, I, I, Dave, I'm, I'm transitioning to a doink based economy. Uh, there's a lot of discussion <laughs> in this world, like what is a good place to put our money? Is it, is it stocks? Is it silver or gold? No, it's, it's GameStop, so.
0: Bitcoin, doinks, doinks is a absolutely
1: right. Okay, speaking of
0: things people can bet on, uh, Joel Embiid is suddenly like one of the MVP favorites. Do you, yes, what's your feelings on that? His candidacy. Do you think he has a chance? Who would you vote for today? And who do you think will win MVP?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the pick. I think obviously Jokic is a very reasonable alternative there and that the argument would be, well, Embiid hasn't played as large a percentage of the season, so that's why you would dock him. I don't give a shit about that. We're going to be talking about this award you know, months into the future. I don't think that's going to matter in the end, presuming, of course, and on I'm not even going to say this out loud, but presuming, you know, that fill in the blanks here having to do with health, right? Like Embiid, if he is going to be on the court for the rest of this run has looked more unstoppable than he has ever looked and more unstoppable than like any big man in modern memory. So I am, I am all in on a guy that honestly like obliterated Anthony Davis I, I, that Laker game, to me, I mean, there are various parts of the Embiid oeuvre that has blown me away, and one of them, obviously, that game against the Heat, um, I mean, he's fucking Eastern Conference Player of the Month right now, so he can pick any game, but to me, it's that Laker game, and just what he did to Anthony Davis at LeBron, just like at will, he seems when energized and healthy, just unstoppable, so yeah, that's that's the MVP to me. And would you say, I I waffle on this, would you say that we should be rooting
0: for him to win MVP as fans? Or should we be sort of rooting for like the Kawhi Leonard load management? I'm fine if he plays 53 games as long as
1: he goes for finals MVP. Yeah, that what a Sixers question. What a a process faithful question. I have to. it's, It's a really, I mean, I've thought about this myself to be perfectly honest with you, because you're right. Like, we don't give a shit ultimately about the MVP. We have a bigger goal in mind. That said, I am currently, this season in particular, in the, you know, again, if I'm at the cafeteria and I got my milk cart cart, (laughs) and I got my plate of weird mashed potatoes, I am – about to start taking other people's heads at other tables and just rubbing it into the mashed potatoes. I'm picturing I that w-
0: that New York Knicks meme with the goth clown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yes, and and by the way, just quick aside on the Knicks. Like again, I'm ancestrally a Knicks fan, born and raised in the city. You get it. You're here. Like the just the amount of just truly. Pathetic tweets I get from Knicks fans who are begging for respect. It's like, just understand my fellow New Yorkers, how sad it is to be treating a sub 500 season, as was the case when I last received these tweets as proof that you are onto something. You are not onto something. I know the defense is delightful with Tibbs. I know Emmanuel quickly is the god of all floater gods. Like I understand this, but no, there's a reason. There's a reason why. I'm, this is happening an, to you. I'm
0: an ancestral Knicks fan. Also, I, I sort of left over time, but I I tease my friends that this is the annual. We have a new culture hamster wheel, and that yes. least, <laughs> we saw it. We saw it like the last five years. This time it's different. KP yeah, and five hundred culture. So Steve Mills culture. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And it's ultimately like James Dolan, right? Like they know it in their hearts. They've been yelled at about this for long enough where they understand like nothing will change until Dolan changes. And maybe they're just trying to make the best of that situation. But you could also leave. You could also leave. (laughs) You could also find another cafeteria or another cafeteria table and guess who's over there. Guess who's over there? Joel fucking Embiid. And he's having a great time. So to answer your question, Dave, I'm trying to rub the Sixers' success in the present into as many faces as possible. And so I do want Embiid MVP. And this gets to probably where we would go at some point in this conversation. I am also glad, as much as I totally would have understood, truly understood, trading Ben Simmons for James Harden. Totally understand it. Totally get it. I am so glad that Ben Simmons is here and on this team. So I too can rub all of the success that he is having and will have into the faces of everybody else.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think, so you gave me plenty of directions to go here. I could go into your, uh, your take Jim Dolan is the worst, but we'll get, we'll go to the Knicks. We'll go back to the Knicks later. Sure. Um Yeah. I think it would be, it would be just important for the franchise in some ways to say like, so many people thought it was dumb to tank, and now the MVP is what was produced. But and by the way, like the two frontrunners for most improved player, Christian
1: Wood and uh Jeremy Grant, it, yeah, two, man, two first alumni, team all
0: NBA, uh, Covington and Simmons. So, like, a lot yeah, of good first team, all
1: process is what they are, yeah. First team, all, I mean, these are look, Dave, this is what's been so funny to me, among many things, about being the um process guy. In the national media, like you got Joel Embiid. Is that not enough? And so that's like the most basic, like, hey, if you pay attention to nothing else, at the very least, appreciate. Man, I was, this is something that's so sad for me to admit, but I was watching a video of a basketball analytics panel at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference from 2016 on YouTube yesterday. And I was doing that because, admittedly, I was trying to find that time Jeff Van Gundy kept on asking if I'm a doctor, as he was disparaging my credibility as a journalist, because I was writing about Steph Curry's ankles, and Kevin Arnovitz had brought this up in the discussion about sports science, and Jeff Van Gundy basically uh, as, turned as into the son my- son of the yeah, LeBron James I, of Filipino urology, it triggered you. Absolutely. It was so <laughs> deeply triggering. I mean, Jeff Van Gundy turning into my dad, my disapproving father- Is he a
0: doctor? Is he a doctor? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the answer remains no. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy slash dad. I apologize. I instead am doing a Sixers podcast right now instead of saving someone's <laughs> with life a <laughs> with a blog boy. With a blog boy. With just I'm surrounded by blog boys. Um, but but the point is. I was watching that panel and like getting mad at Jeff Van Gundy. And then I was like listening to what else he was saying. And there was this whole thing about, did they know what they were doing with Joel Embiid? Sending him off to this weird, to to, to the Middle East. Qatar cover, to Qatar. Yes, to Qatar for his foot thing. And and basically how are they managing him? And was this ever going to pay off? And yeah, guess what, man? It did pay off. So if you wanted the result, the result is Joel Embiid. But more Ah. than that, Sorry, what are you going to say? I'm going to personally request because
0: I, uh, of all places to read your article that you just mentioned, I was reading it at waiting like for an hour in physical therapy for my crummy knees. And, Ooh. uh, and so I'm, I'm like, man, if I have to get surgery, are they going to put cadaver tendons? Cause that's what Steph got. <laughs> and am yes. I going to have to do like deadlifts and get stronger than Draymond Green <laughs> just to learn yes. around? And so I I would like to anoint you to do the uh, follow-up on Embiid's Worked Out. If it does, well, not good.
1: I know, I know. By the way, everybody who despises um, the Sixers, to the point where they would listen to a Liberty Ballers podcast hosted by you and (laughs) me as (laughs) a guest, just truly hate listening. They are yelling at us through their earphones like, you idiots, Take your Why are you spiking like the football right now? Exactly, yeah. it's February. And to their credit, sure, but to their discredit, have you seen the guy? I mean, the the thing about Embiid and like, well, but let's let's move off Embiid for a second because it's more than that. As you mentioned, those other names. The God, I mean, the most annoying thing about the entire process post mortem was simply that oh, you guys just lost a lot. And so you got the draft high. Everyone does that. And that's not what it was. It was about what do you do when you commit to rebuild and yes, lose a lot. What do you do with the margins? What do you do with literally every other facet of your organization? How do you optimize and leverage that timeline of rebuilding to do things that other teams were never bold enough to do? Other teams never had the courage of their own convictions to do, and what they did was build the best fucking team in the Eastern Conference.
0: Oh, and it, it hurts because it could have been a lot better. To your point, I remember you I forget which piece it was, but you uh, you wrote a piece where you quoted Genie Bus saying like the tanking is unforgivable. Yes, and yes. then I look back now. And they lost over five years more games than the Sixers, but they didn't quite play those margins. But they did cash in like, hey, LeBron, we got two max contracts, you and whoever you want, and we'll trade every second overall pick we got over the last four years for someone else. And it worked. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say that being bad is bad if even a team who's not capitalizing on those margins can do well with it if, if they're selling you know. Los Angeles as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, the thing about the process and, and the losses also is that of course it was undeniable that that was an aspect of the strategy, but there were teams that were worse in any individual season. There were teams that were worse and they were worse for reasons that are far less defensible, like incompetence, like bad ownership, like lack of strategy, like they didn't have a plan. And I will say this in big 120 point font, just so people understand where I'm coming from on this. If people do want to argue that it is wrong to ever tank, I can actually be on board with that. It's simply that the rules in that case should be different. So lottery reform, abolishing the draft. I'm a big abolish the draft guy. I totally think that would be a more fun way to live. The question, though, in reality, is: given the rules we have, which the Sixers and Sam Hankey did not create, what would be the most competitive strategy given the hand that you are dealt? How can and we make sure Sam Kate, and the Kate Sixers will wants to sign with the Heat or something? Sure, sure. Um, but, I, but even beyond that, it's simply like, okay, there is this system. These are the rules. We got to play by them. This is who gets picks for these reasons, and it's attached to record. So, therefore, what would a hyper-competitive team do to maximize their odds of title contention? They would do, if they were given a team built around Arnett Moultrie that Sam Hanke <laughs> inherited, they would do what he did. That's all, I, that's all I argue is that it's actually the most competitive strategy while it has been caricatured as the least. And that's been my frustration the whole time is like, no, actually they care. Those Sixers, they care about title contention so much more than the genie buses and all of the other owners and GMs who side-eyed them as this was happening because they knew somewhere, or maybe they didn't understand. Maybe we give them that much credit. Maybe they actually earnestly were confused by it. I know Russ Granick, the deputy former deputy commissioner of the NBA, had a similar quote. He was like, "I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing." I think Mitch Kupchak said that too. I find it confusing. Yeah, and by the way, like that's another part of the history that people like to erase. I guess now that we're talking about it, it's like it it wasn't obvious what the Sixers were doing. So as much as it's now sort of in (laughs) vogue to argue like, "Oh, they were doing the simplest thing anybody could do. That an idiot could do that." It's like. You guys didn't even understand what was happening at the time. But now you're claiming that an idiot could have done it. So they're just multiple levels, Dave, of 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 me wanting to rub mashed potatoes in people's faces.
0: Well, I, I cut you off just as you said, the man of the hour's name, Sam Hankey, But you've had a, like sort of a level of access that probably no other investigative reporter has had. You, you had lunch with him for two hours and then you got to talk to him again, like what, five years later, four years later. What would you say, knowing how the players have evolved, and we've gotten to see what's worked, and knowing there are nuances beyond lose, like target a guy who might be injured but has a high upside instead of Dante
1: Exum, or um, you know, do a million transactions, Dave, (laughs) just like churn, right? Like churn, do the most transactions that have been done in a period of time. In NBA history, just like outwork everybody and find tiny marginal advantages. That was another part of it.
0: So what would you say your impression is like, let's say we're in a post pandemic world and I spot you at a bar and I say, tell me what it was like seeing Sam hinkey and talking to him over the years as things have changed and hearing him now say there's zero chance I would ever come back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you, first off, I I would immediately begin to slur my words because I undoubtedly would be unbelievably hammered because I'm at a bar for the first time <laughs> in like, what will all be right, probably all fifth two time, years. Fifth time. Yeah. So, so at this bar, what I would explain to you is first off, like you used a funny phrase, like got to interview him five years later. It's, it's not quite as cozy a relationship if, it takes 5 years for me to get you on the record after having literally one sentence from a 2-hour lunch.
0: For him this All is that as utterly and cozy as it gets.
1: Very true. Very very true. And so what know. I <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> What I would say, And so it's it, it, it's funny because that is absolutely correct on a relative basis, but for me working on getting Sam to open up like you know, there's it's very much like being a duck. And I say that because on the surface, I'm just like kind of gliding along. Oh, look, it's an interview with Sam Hinkey. Great. It's it's an hour and a half on ESPN Daily. Great. Let's let's listen to that. That seems easy enough. Of course, they have a relationship. That's how they got it. Beneath the surface, Dave. I am furiously paddling like I am trying desperately to convince him, hey, man, got to do this for these reasons. It's time. I'm trying to work that angle for for all I can. And so I would say that he is just a unique brain. And I say that as somebody who knows fairly unique brains just as a matter of like um, people that I've encountered as a reporter and as a person who has come to know and appreciate people that I consider and admire for being so very smart. Mm -hmm. Sam Hinckley is still rare. He is unique. Like his commitment to his principles, to his worldview, to his cost benefit analysis is remarkably ironclad and it's genuine. And the thing that I think, and that ESPN Daily interview, and I, again, I'm promoting my own podcast here, but that's what we do at this point, is, is the thing about that is, by the second half of it, I, I if I had to describe like the arc of it, like the first half is sort of, or first third is sort of me digging as a reporter who's trying to just mine him for quotes. I want to know about his relationship with Joel Embiid. I want to know how he feels about being ousted by Josh Harris. I, I want that juicy stuff. But then you sort of get to realize a little bit more about what he's actually like as a person, which is the guy that I know from phone calls that are off the record and meetings that never get published because he is so cautious and careful. And you begin to realize that he is not merely this you know, unique brain in sports and in business and in life. And I say that as a compliment, he's also a profoundly interesting and honestly expansive quote He is a talker. He has many things to say. Like the way he's interesting is not merely like, oh, he is this Oz Wizard of Oz type figure from behind the curtain puppeteering this weird chemistry experiment. It's the fact that he has a truly fascinating library of things he's learned well beyond sports that inform how he approaches sports and business and life. And that's, What I told him at the end, and what I told him in hoping to convince him to talk to me on the record, is people don't know that you're really good at talking. And I understand why, but that's a shame because every time I talk to him, I come away thinking deeply about stuff that I did not anticipate going in.
0: Yeah, you said. His silence breeds intrigue, fermenting disgust for his experiment, like mold in a petri dish. And <laughs> but, the, but you getting to talk to him, you realize that he's charming, and this is something that some of his players have said. And he's, he's, you know, social. Yeah, fun. it's like you mentioned, it's his principle to. So does it does it frustrate you? I mean, I think you said on TV one of the grandest conspiracies in NBA history, and no one talks about it. Was when him being ousted does it frustrate you now to hear that someone who thinks in this way and has had more success than we even thought he might have looking back at guys like Christian Wood uh, has zero interest in returning
1: yeah I was hoping I was hoping that he would I think some part of him does want to return by the way it's just that the calculation he's made is again an ironclad one and he's made it logically. And I don't think he is going to come back. If you ran the Knicks, would you can Rose and do everything you could to hire him? Oh my God. I mean, that's (laughs) of course, but like, but this is again, let's put ourselves in the shoes of, of someone like Sam, if not Sam specifically, after being ousted by the Sixers in a way that was obviously like ultimately indefensible to me, at least you are looking for a job through the lens of ownership. And if James Dolan is your boss, you don't want to take that job. Right. And so you look around the league, Dave, and I think Sam has done this. He has thoroughly analyzed all 30 teams. He got like a whiff is, from Sacramento maybe. Well, I think he's had a, I think he's had whiffs from places. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to Sacramento specifically, but I know that he is acutely aware and rigorous in his understanding of who would my boss be in each of these jobs. And once I do that calculation, how many of these jobs do I actually want? And for him, the answer arrived at zero. And that's sad because I think he would have, I mean, and this is by the way, this is like the what if game is not merely, Oh, I wish he could have been on and we'll get way ahead of ourselves here. I wish he could be on the parade float. Right. And, and, and as I, you know, just as I have a digression on a digression for a second here, I remember talking to him and like, one of the things I was trying to explain, explain to him was like, Hey man, people don't understand that you actually love sports. Like he played high school football. He played high school basketball, like yeah. in Oklahoma, like he's, and he was accomplished, Absolutely. you know, he's not yeah. like, yeah, he's, he's a, he, he's a good athlete. And of course, for various reasons, he does not seem that way. And I will also admit that, like, I've always empathized and identified a little bit with that, even though I'm nowhere near as good an athlete in high school as he was just the idea that you'd look at someone and superficially decide, oh, that guy doesn't know the game. Like, actually, ironically, Sam Inkey is such a better athlete than I would say 90% of the people who say that he doesn't know basketball, you know, and so that's just <laughs> ironic to me, um, so well, you
0: you show up on a pickup court, people underestimate you, but then you can
1: surprise them. That's yes. And it's it is, and again, the bar is low. The bar is super low. and And but I do think that there is an element of like, wow, you're not falling over yourself you know <laughs> you can dribble you can put the ball behind your back it just like it's that it's that Stan van gundy video right It's Stan van gundy crossing yeah. over people and dribbling behind his back and it's like it's team's like what <laughs> yeah this guy it's like yeah man like again it, it's we sort of have this very easy um, kind of like again it's not uh, it, it's it's there are far worse stereotypes in the world but in terms of sports that is uh, a kind of Cliche that's always been frustrating. It's like, oh, that guy's a nerd. He's another game. That guy looks you like that. Danny Ainge.
0: So you must be like immobile and lanky.
1: Right, right. So, anyway, I say that because I tried to explain to Sam, like, hey, people don't understand that you actually know and love sports, even though you're the general manager of an NBA team. Like, that's a weird thing for people to not sort of like believe about you. But he's and saw no upside in sharing this stuff. No upside at all. And, he, and I think he likes to argue that he does not care. Mm-hmm. that people think that about him. I think that is in part aspirational if I had to sort of psychoanalyze because he's a human being. I think that he lives his life as if that is true, but the degree to which that is actually true, I think we're all bothered deep down in ways that we don't like to confess publicly. But anyhow, I tried to convince him. And, and one of the things he pointed out at one point in our conversations over the years was that like, he does like dream about what it's like to be, in an nba city during the conference finals and you're about to walk into that building and and it's like forget about the parade just being around the team like i do think he that was what he dreamed about was getting into playoff series (laughs) an empty bubble I I I don't I don't not even his brain I think sort of <laughs> formulated that. that. But but I was digressing off of a digression, and what was the original digression? It was uh oh 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 the what ifs. Okay, so Dave, the what ifs that I actually am frustrated by is not merely like what would the parade been like? What would Sam have been like during these playoff series? It's what would he do in the era after you tank. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. the running of a team does not end there. Correct. It's like, Oh, I would like to unleash that brain on another scenario, whether that's with a different team like the Knicks or the jazz or whatever the Kings, but also like, what do you do with the fide contender? I mean, the what ifs of like, would he have traded for James Harden before, before, you know, before all of this, like who, would, who was the guy? Cause he, I mean, a, he did trade for James Harden with the Rockets. He was the architect of the Harden trade when they got him in Houston. What would be what would be the equivalent of that in the present day? I don't think he would have gotten Anthony Davis because of all the Lakers stuff, and he had LeBron connection that was impossible, I think, to ever beat. But which superstar would he have used his cupboard to go after? And then from there, when you have the stars... Like, how do you run your team? And that, man, that, like, I, he would have done things that other people would not have thought to do, and that's what's a bummer about it.
0: Yeah, I've, I've wondered that a lot more than it's probably healthy uh, because, <laughs> because you know, he would he still had so many high picks, you know, the, right. uh, the third in 2017, the 10th on 2018, and the 14th in 2019, and there were a lot of names that became available from Butler to Kyrie to... Paul George and these guys went all over the league. So, and you knew his sort of thesis was let's get three stars. Let's get maybe two and a half superstars or whatever we can get, because then we can play the margins and find some Covingtons and grants to fill it in.
1: Yeah. But by the way, that's also what's funny, Dave is like the idea of man, this guy, like there's again for all. and, And I wrote this, so I I'm responsible for it, but for all of you, like, Oh, this is a weird fermented science experiment stuff the fundamental goals could not be more conventional, right? We right. need stars. Yes, yeah, it's like, it's like Sam Hankey worships at the altar of the superstars that all of the rings fetishists also worship, right? Like, he gets it. It's, it. He's not trying to reinvent that wheel. It's just how do you actually get them? And that's where it all got real, yeah, like fermented.
0: Speaking of star, (laughs) speaking of fermented stars, um, the NBA is talking about having an all-star game and we are playing maskless indoor sports in the middle of a raging deadly pandemic. What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think to yourself, well, that's fun. And I cover the NBA. I'd like to watch it. Or do you think like, do we really want the 20 best players all in one place and maybe talking to the media?
1: Yeah, I I, 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 look, let's be honest about what that is, right? That is a television event. And so the reason you do it is for money and for business financial purposes. So from that perspective, like far be it from me who works for ESPN to say, we got to like, you know, ignore and be naive to those concerns and those needs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That said, as a human being, like, what do I prefer? Like, yeah, I would prefer that we minimize the risk to those players and to the people who enter the orbits of those players. So I have to admit, I don't know the logistics of like, could they do like a, an outdoor all-star game somewhere, you know, where it's sort of like, oh, can we just at the very least make as clear as possible that we're minimizing the risks of transmission here? It's an
0: interesting idea. Can you put hardwood down in Tampa? Outdoors? Why
1: not? I mean, they played basketball on a fucking um, uh, aircraft carrier. I remember, like, <laughs> Michigan State played North Carolina on an aircraft carrier. Maybe, and I'm not saying necessarily that the optics of the military industrial complex would invite <laughs> that as the answer to this problem—an aircraft carrier. But yeah, do it outside, and and sort of, you know, you have to make it attach you know, and this is the other big debate ethically, right? The bioethics of of vaccination and who gets to cut the line and so forth yeah. and so on. Like maybe you build something about vaccination awareness into that event. You just, I, I just, I, I truly think that we should all be imagining the present tense as our future selves, right? Like in the documentary of our time, yeah. will we be proud of how we're, handling this and too often the answer is absolutely not but when it comes to something like the all-star game like if we're going to do it please be aware of not only how you look now but how you will look in retrospect and so that would be the north star for me it's it's hard
0: and I wrestle with this I, I'm a big NFL fan but I same I'm, I'm very sensitive to these like helmet to helmet hits and I'm like is this going to be like our modern day gladiator where I look back and I was like how did you support this stuff these, all these guys have, you know, brain CTI and, and all these things. And is it possible that we'll look at rooting for the NBA right now in a similar fashion, if all these guys have, or a handful have long-term issues. So I think well, it's tough and I, I don't know what to think.
1: Yeah, but that's, but that's, that's the exercise we should all be doing. Right. Because it's, it's, yeah. you know, I did, I did a story for again, ESPN daily plugging my podcast. Again, I did a story, uh, a little essay about uh, Keontae Johnson, who is the Florida forward, who collapsed mid game and like he at that moment in time very well could have been dead. Like his teammates reacted as if he was dead. He had to be rushed to the hospital, had to enter a coma. And the thought was immediately like, did he have a heart condition that was interacting weeks after the fact that he had, contracted COVID-19. And so where are we going to get a fatality? And so the question of I was just cluing in on you using the term handful. It's like, what does our threshold of regret look like? And to be, sure, right? Well, I, yes, I mean, I, I think there are certainly enough cases where we should be extraordinarily concerned. But I think it does just take one, it takes one guy to die. Right. And the death being the threshold idea, like we shouldn't have to wait for that, of course. And in some ways, like that is not exactly the most logical response because there could be, as you put it, a handful of other guys who have to deal with respiratory or otherwise issues down the road that should also be weighed into any sort of moral calculation. But the way I make peace with all of this, Dave, because I also mull over these yeah, help me is I, I, I also... I'm a boxing fan. Mm. Like I like boxing, and so how do I make peace with that? And so let, let's let's just use boxing as as the gateway here because I like if you can too, sort yeah. of if you can justify liking boxing, you can justify pretty much anything else. So admittedly, <laughs> we're on a slippery slope. <laughs> admittedly, but, we're but we're fun. we're trying to we're trying to put spikes down on a slippery slope. No question. <laughs> but but here is here here are the spikes. Do the participants understand all of the risks they are incurring have they been informed about them transparently have they made educated decisions as adults for themselves have they legally agreed that those risks are worth taking in exchange for whatever it is they personally get out of the sport in question yeah i think the players didn't even want a regional bubble so Well, that's it, right? I mean, like the players did not want to go back into the bubble. So my whole thing about let's worry about the players, absolutely, as well as the staff and everybody else, the arena workers, the security people. But let's keep in mind that these are also adults making adult decisions for themselves. And we don't need to sort of infantilize them if they understand what the risks are. And it seems like the science of this has been communicated to them to the best of the NBA's knowledge. So to me, like, I would say, if we would sort of allow people to go skydiving, if we would allow people to do any number of risky things, get into a shark cage, but they're doing it, having understood those risks, then I'm okay with sort of the analogy in sports also occurring. I would simply point out that the trick with this virus and this is where that best of their knowledge kind of clause becomes very important, is that we don't know everything about it yet, right? We're still kind of like, this is the risk aversion idea. Like, we got to be risk averse because we don't totally understand it. And it's one thing to agree and to sign away as a siren blares in the background. Sam, hear that
0: rubbed off on you. You've got this whole cost benefit analysis.
1: Yes, but 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 I, look, I'm in New York, right? So this is all these these aren't abstract things to me. Like the toll of right. of of life, and you get this too. It's real, and so I am okay with people getting into an airplane and skydiving, right? You sign the waiver, you're good. But it's not okay for you to skydive, but also kidnap, like someone else's grandparent at the same time. Right. Right. And that's what this is sort of like. Yes. Can you limit and isolate the liability to you personally? A boxer can incur CTE in exchange for money, but they're not concussing other people in the process. And that's where the virus is a different thing. And that's where I think, yeah, the, we don't, we don't know enough yet about how this all works to feel super confident about how well those spikes in the slippery slope can hold. Oh, we have breaking news as we speak.
0: We'll break news oh, on this podcast, even though people will hear it tomorrow. So as you know, ESPN insider, writer, and colleague of yours on TV, Mina Kimes, reported that Daryl Morey once asked her if she would use her incredible Etch-A-Sketch <laughs> prowess to, to draw a portrait of a free agent. Morey was trying to woo uh, you you joked like, I want to know the free agent that would see a portrait of himself on Etch-A-Sketch and say, this is my franchise, but we now know who it is. Daryl Morey has revealed it was probably not a surprise. If you had to guess one player, Dwight Howard, he seems yeah. like one guy who might see himself in a Rockets cape on Etch-A-Sketch and say I'm home, right?
1: Yeah, this is, this is a real failure of my personal reporting uh, <laughs> and my journalistic career. Mina and I had like, I remember this was like years ago um, when Mina was not like she was not nearly the person with the audience she has now. And Daryl like did his scouting and like found out that she did just sketches of like people and Facebook messaged her. And she immediately, of course, told me about it and was like, what the fuck is this? And I like cracked up laughing and was like, who in the world would this be effective with? And for years, we did not know the answer. For years, we laughed that <laughs> this was even a thing Daryl seriously ever considered. Like, So what? did she say no? She said no because a couple of reasons. One, I think it was super weird. But two, because <laughs> as like a journalist... She'd have as, to report as, it. Yeah, you can't be like an empl- basically a contracted worker of an yeah. NBA GM to help recruit a player, even though... Again, I don't think this is ever going to be taught at the Columbia School of Journalism, but like, yeah, I'm I feel like sure. Mina, Mina, Mina did sort of land on the right side of history on that. But <laughs> in retrospect, like, of course it was Dwight. Of course it was. <laughs> and and in and in retrospect, it's a great move. Like Daryl, like Daryl, totally vindicated upon revealing that it was Dwight Howard. I, yes, I'm sure totally he makes had sense.
0: a few algorithms that dictated that would work on Dwight. It would have worked
1: absolutely yes yes machine learning indicated that this would be the (laughs) absolute best way to recruit him
0: he's the one guy now if um if daryl came to you with a hidden talent and you signed some sort of nda i don't have to report it Mm. what what would that weirdest skill what are you the
1: lebron james of wow what's your etch-a-sketch Wow, what is my etch-a-sketch? Let's say we need a stretch five and somehow
0: Ibaka hits the buyout market or J.J. Reddick.
1: Yeah, yeah, what I'm doing is I'm inviting Serge Ibaka to a place called Winnie's in Chinatown. Winnie's is a karaoke bar. Winnie's has a laser disc library that it runs its songs off of. I'm going to reach into that library of laser discs as I have done (laughs) perhaps 1,000 times in my life. And I am taking out total eclipse of the heart. I'm taking out total eclipse of the heart, Dave Early, which is the thing I've reached for 1,000 out of 1,000 times.
0: You have a very
1: deep voice. There's
0: no way you can hit that full range
1: well here's what's going to (laughs) happen i'm going to put that laser disc in the machine and yes it'll skip and yes it's going to have like weird imagery like you do sometimes on karaoke music videos where it's like i don't know if this is at all associated with the actual content of this song it's just like sort of like a guy wistfully sort of like in a laundromat i don't get it but nonetheless i am going to take the low parts And Serge Ibaka is going to take the high parts. And you may ask yourself, wait a minute, Serge Ibaka's voice also pretty low. That's not going to work. (laughs) Quite low. (laughs) Just understand, Dave, there has never been a karaoke duet partner in Serge Ibaka's life like me. And we will make it work.
0: And then, honestly, I think he would fall in love with New York City or whatever's left of it at this point.
1: Yes. And by the way, I think Winnie's did close down during the pandemic, unfortunately. I should point out that, like, these are all, like, yeah, God, ghost towns in my mind at this point. But yeah, as a Filipino American sports journalist who occasionally appears on television, karaoke duet is the most I can offer a hypothetical superstar free agent. I
0: think I, think I heard Embiid and Steph Curry did it and had like a blast at the All Star game.
1: Oh, man. Oh, wait. We just solved all of our issues here. Replace the All Star game with outdoor karaoke Karaoke, Oh yes
0: this is genius i wonder if we can work this into the solution for tanking somehow too like maybe we
1: could get all (laughs) the the college prospects to do it and that's what decides their teams well that by the way if you abolish the draft dave like what do you get you have all of these different recruiting visits and yes so maybe everyone wants to go to miami we also figure like okay miami only has room for so many of those players who would want to be ball dominant like there's going to be a natural selection there begin with. But then on top of that, you get like, basically 30 parallel, like seasons of The Bachelor, like in which case they go on all of these sort of like one on ones, and absolutely a content goldmine that Mm. karaoke should figure into. Mm,
0: Like that Travis Kelsey show sort of, but with wooing players to sign set of dates.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right.
0: Yeah, I like this idea. All right, let's do, some, let's do some Sixers like lightning round. Doc Rivers, okay. coach of the month. Things didn't go well for him uh, in, with the Clippers. What do you think of Doc so far? Best record in the East.
1: I love Doc Rivers for this simple reason. Not because he's been a guest on my podcast and has been very thoughtful about like race relations in America. That's not why I love him, although he's fantastic at that. Yeah. Two words, man. Do you know what those two words are? He wins. That's a good try. <laughs> the two words I was looking for are Tobias Harris. Yeah, yeah, dude. I I I want to apologize to Tobias Harris at this point in the podcast. Tobias, if you're listening this deep in, just know that I apologize for everything I said about you for two years now. Um, Doc Rivers I, I clearly, do too. dude. Doc Rivers clearly understands how to use Tobias Harris better than, I mean, it's not a high bar to clear, better than anybody else Tobias Harris has had in Philadelphia. Like, Tobias Harris being anything like the Clippers version of Tobias Harris that was deserving of big money and is himself, as in that magical Laker game I've now referenced many times, like hitting game winners and just in general being a confident all-around basketball player, that's... I, I, I wrote that off. I did not, that was not part of my optimism for this season. And the fact that it's more than that is incredible. So I love doc for that tip
0: Tim, who goes by cranges McBasketball released some super nerdy advanced stats where Harris had also taken a sizable leap on D this year.
1: Yes. Yes. He's, I mean, you watch the games and you're like, I don't feel bad that this guy is making this much money. Like if, if, if again, I, feel a little bad, but <laughs> by and large, like if, if they're going to be this good with him and he's going to fit, like he's a he's part of the solution. He is absolutely part of the solution. And I love, I love that that part of the Sixers can, can be totally rejuvenated thanks to Doc Rivers, I would argue.
0: So you tweeted just over a year ago, don't trade Joel, don't trade Ben. But then you, it sounds like you might've come around, you might've traded him for Harden. Is that fair? Would you have traded him for
1: Harden? Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't anticipate these gotcha questions, Dave. I really don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, I no, did. I, I did. It's, no, no, it's no, not I, a I, gotcha.
0: It's a changing of the mind, which I respect.
1: No, you're right. I mean, you're right. I did. Because James Harden is somebody that I think is fucking incredible at basketball. And he has, I think, sort of validated as much in Brooklyn. But he is the thing about Ben, it's like, this is how I put it, right? Within any solid relationship, I'm married. There is congratulations a list. Thank you. There is a list, Dave, early. There is a list. And the list is perhaps one name long. But it's the celebrity who, if you ever had the opportunity, you would have a get-out-of-jail-free card for being with. Right. No matter what like, happens, it's like... No matter what happens, like, we all get it. We all get it for Daryl Morey, that person is James Harden. Right. James Harden is his George Clooney. And so if you're Ben Simmons, who, again, I love more than I think anybody else in the national media at this point, if you're Ben Simmons, at the very least, you make peace with the fact that, okay, that's his George Clooney. I can't take this that personally. (laughs) He's George fucking Clooney, right? gotta let it happen. Gotta let it happen. Now, for me, I, I did, I did, hypothetically trade Ben Simmons for James um I change my mind
0: on Ben and his market value all the time so
1: but now like you know I I think the joy of that never happening is that yes I get to sort of do a victory lap with Ben because I do think this team will have many victories and that Ben as he has been although again in true Ben fashion like it's been up and down at times um Yeah. He'll throw in a triple double for you in a, in a, in a big game. And yes, I would love the satisfaction of that. Yeah. I, I, I greatly, greatly find delicious. So you would not trade
0: him for Brad Beal. Brad Beal is not George Clooney.
1: (sighs) Yeah, no, no. I mean, look, look, this is, this is, this is a take that I'm still workshopping Um, Bradley Beal, like on paper, like if you're Joel Embiid, like Bradley Beal is maybe his George Clooney, right? Like, Imagine Dave. Let's just let's just do the yeah, they thing, share right? A trainer. Well, let, let's 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 um, the Drew Hanlon industrial complex. Yeah, I mean, look, let's 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 imagine a team in which Joel Embiid is in the post and around him, <laughs> right? We have. Debye Curry Beal, Yeah, Curry, Beal. Like, I mean. <laughs> I mean, you throw a Danny Green in there if you want, but just like the idea of like spacing the floor and giving Joel all that room, like he could, he could score fifty just in the paint. Like this it would be a dream. Like George for him.
0: Clooney, this would be like a Roman orgy for him.
1: Yes, so be Caligula. Yeah, he would be Caligula <laughs> of the the Caligula of the NBA. So I get that. What I about what about
0: keeping Ben and then trading like a Drew Holiday type of package for Levine? you do that like three picks mm. a swap maxi
1: yeah i th- i mean green i think levine i mean look levine what he is now versus what he was you know obviously two years ago uh, now i seriously do i'm enticed by that i am enticed by that i need to think more about it but i am workshop intuitively that take. Very- look for on tv soon yeah, I'm going to steal that and 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 take credit for it, um, and not credit you. Unfortunately, <laughs> is how this works, Dave. But but to, but to, put, to put a pin on the Beal thing, um, I would be disappointed at this point to lose Ben Simmons. Bradley Beal, yeah. I mean, he would just it, the, the fit. I, I I want to acknowledge that. I'm going to say no to Bradley Beal for Ben Simmons, but yeah. I acknowledge that that trade would make this team incredible in a different way. Got it.
0: All right. Here's, here's an interesting one. Help me resolve. Daryl Morey is here. He's famous for Morey ball, three shots at the rim free throws, and they are taking a million free throws because it needs rip through moves. They're shooting the sixth most long twos, the fifth most mid range shot and the 26th most threes per clean the glass. Mm. Is D'Antoni rolling in his grave? Is this just accommodating his new roster? Is this influence of Doc? What's going on here?
1: Yeah, I think the answer is all of the above. Um, I do think... (laughs) I mean, look, D'Antoni's off in Brooklyn. He has enough things to handle um, (laughs) over there. Um, He's spinning around in different ways. Um, (laughs) With the Sixers, though, I do think that, yeah, like, look... (sighs) I do think it's a mixture of like the fact that doc is there, the fact that they have personnel there that are not going to be playing as extremely. And Joel, obviously, like, I mean, I, I would like to, if we could break out those numbers into like, well, what percentage is Joel of those two pointers, right? Like, or what percentage in, in the league, I, I,
0: I, they're third best at long twos and first most accurate on mid range. So probably wow, is a lot of wow. Joel, but it's also Seth.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, I don't, the, the orthodoxy of Mori ball, like <laughs> it, it's not the only way to win. Um, I am not, I am not, if I had to start a team from scratch, I think I would optimize for all of those three things. But if you have these guys and this yeah. is how it's working the best, dude, just keep on, keep doing it. Don't, don't, don't overthink this from that perspective.
0: All right, let's wrap up with a couple quick next questions uh is rj barrett a potential franchise player
1: i don't think so but i really hope so i i I, there are games where you watch rj barrett and you're like he's bad you know and i and i don't know if that's a, a thought that a franchise player um to the extent that the Knicks need him should, should sort of like uh, provoke. Like, I don't think that's the thought you want someone to have, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to vote. No, I'm going to vote. No on that. New
0: York city just got like 16 inches of snow. Did you play in it?
1: Minimally? Yes. I took my uh, almost one year old daughter out for her first blizzard. I might go take a walk to central park as soon as I get off the phone with you here. That's um, Violet, right? What was her reaction? Yes, yes, yes. Violet Our was relations. confused. <laughs> Thank you, man. Violet was very confused. Also, the fact that she's almost a year is very confusing to me. It basically means that we've been, I mean, it, her birth coincided, you can do the math, with like the beginning of the pandemic. And the I, fact yeah. that we've made it a fucking year, like we've been living I Am Legend in New York for a year. Dave, if I came to you a year ago and said, guess what? You're gonna be doing this broadly speaking, this being I am legend life. You're gonna be doing this one year from now. That would have seemed unthinkable to you, wouldn't wouldn't it have? Yeah. I, I know it's so crazy
0: for so many people. You lost your show. you you timed a being a dad for the first time and having a daughter with the onset of a pandemic. So <laughs> I, I don't have kids. I can't really relate, but it must have been sort of mind blowing for you.
1: Yeah, everything changed, and it is not changed back at all. And so yeah, three major life events, um, high noon going away, uh, birth of my daughter, and obviously global pandemic happening basically in the same like span of time, and never returning to what it was like before it's all felt very surreal. It's all felt like time. I say this all the time now, but it felt like time moved very quickly and very slowly at the same time, both forward and backward at the same time. And so on the back end of this, I am hoping that there will be something feeling like resolution, but the idea of anything feeling resolved at this point, yeah, I haven't felt that for a year. And I do think it's important to remember as human beings, Dave, that a year is a fucking long time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's 100% of the life, you know, if one year is 100% of your, your daughter's life. But for us, it's like one one, someone in their mid to late 30s. Yeah. So it can be a long, long time. Uh, did you develop any weird new hobbies because of all the time at home?
1: Yeah, all I have is weird hobbies.
0: <laughs> Give us one.
1: I mean, like there, there's a chair in my living room that I don't have like a mini hoop anymore. I used to um, when I had higher ceilings in my old apartment, but in the apartment I have now, I don't have a mini hoop, but I I've just been throwing, like my daughter has like these knit wool balls that she plays with. I've been throwing them in, like trying to make them like settle in the chair. Like it's a giant hoop. So I just stand across the living room and just like sh- fire them in, like practicing my, my three point stroke that way. Um, I was doing that all night last night, listening to podcasts, which is a pathetic mental image that i just painted
0: is for that you. homework for you or is that like chilling that's
1: both i mean both. I, I, that's that's it's it, it's the good and bad of having a job that you enjoy right it's all that, sports yeah 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 i mean like for for espn daily again right. subscribe unsubscribe, subscribe resubscribe on subscribe like the, the 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 thing about it is like i i listen to the episodes that are coming out the next day the night before because i'm trying to make sure it's all sounding good, but also for fun, I actually enjoy it. I'm like, and and by the way, I listen to other people's pods too for fun, but also with the professional utility of trying to get like better and learn about all sports in general. And it feels like I'm always working is the result, which is the bad part. But the good part is that I'm doing it because I enjoy it. And so maybe I'll be burnt out in, I don't know, like a week, but right now it, it all feels both productive and enjoyable. I think I read
0: that, uh, the number one way to pass time during the 1918 Spanish flu was throwing wool children's balls at chairs. So <laughs> this this works, and I don't know if you, you figured it out on your own. But uh, so, all right, you can do any final plugs, and then we'll let you go prep for uh, whatever's next.
1: Yeah, I mean, I plugged ESPN Daily enough, so go go find that. I think you guys will enjoy it if you enjoyed anything about what it is that we did here. Um, so that's it, Dave. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. It's fun. And you got a lot of fans in Sixers Nation. So thanks for telling the truth on so many things that were frustrating to us.
1: I really hope to one day marry another couple at a lottery party (laughs) in Philadelphia someday soon.
0: Yeah, there were some legendary moments. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, Dave. Take care, man. Appreciate it. Bye. More to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of.